Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, everyone. This is the official Succession podcast from HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Kara Swisher. If everyone's showing up to battle in armor, then I feel kind of exposed here in my loincloth. Let's gang up on Dad and take him down. Jesus, let me shut the door first. Stick with me, Roman. We have something going. And I'm an incredibly dangerous enemy. This week on Succession, we saw Logan still desperately trying to contain the chaos inside Waystar from a hotel room in Sarajevo. Meanwhile, the Roy children are all back in the same room. But it's a minefield of manipulations and mistrust. You didn't like how I did what I did to death. Sure. Whatever, I'm sorry. Now that's for me and him. Well, I'm just here to spy on this one, so. And I'm just here to get you to back down. Feels like the kind of room that could use a psychologist. You know, Pop's looking for you two. Yeah, we're here on his behalf. Oh, sure thing, honey, me too. All about Dad. That's why we're all here. That's why Adam Grant is on the show. He's a top organizational psychologist and host of the podcast Work Life. We'll talk about living and working in a family company full of lies, narcissists, and egos, and what that actually does to your relationships and your psyche. I don't know whether I want to call him a narcissist or a taker or just an asshole. Uh, Probably all three. But first, power rankings. First, which of the Roys is up this week? Let's look at Kendall. Last week, he was mostly worried about his social media strategy. This week, he gets his priorities straight. He tries to bring his siblings into the fold. Together, maybe they can overthrow Logan. I don't know what I think about Dad. Uh, I love him. I hate him. I'm going to outsource it to my therapist. But he was going to send me to jail. Kendall doesn't win them over, but he's making better moves. Shiv is up, too. By the end of the episode, she has a new title, Domestic President of Waystar, and a new task, Keep eyes on Jerry Kelman. And what about Connor? Listen to this call with no context, and you might think things are going well for him. Con? Hey, hey. I'd just like to say... It's good to know that with everything, I can rely on you with Kenny going nut-nut. Yeah, sure. But Connor knows better than to believe his own father. You're number one, kiddo. You know that. So Kendall and Shiv are up, Connor's down... Who made the biggest power moves? Those fucking kids of yours. I know. Is it Logan's estranged wife, Marsha? For my return to be public, 
I will need my role on the trust finalized and improvements in my financial position. But the boldest power move of the week has to have gone to Logan, one that says, I know what you're all doing. Dad has sent some perfectly innocent and I'm sure safe to eat donuts. I'm like 98% sure those are not poisoned. And those are the power rankings for now. Con, stop looking at the fucking donuts, man. Okay, let's go back to that scene with all the four Roy kids. Kendall has brought everyone together and he wants to unite his siblings against his dad. Kendall's HQ is his ex-wife's home, and the only spot for privacy is in his young daughter's bedroom. Everything during this interaction feels like subtext. There is zero trust here. Let's listen. Here we all are. Okay, can, can we uh, turn off the devices and get into this? You know, I'm just going to say right out that I'm a spy. I'm going to go back and tell him everything. I'm a dad, so yeah, fuck you. Is this a family? Is it business? Who knows? I'm going to get into this dynamic with my guest today, Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist, professor, and podcaster. Adam's the author of a lot of best-selling books. His latest is Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. Hey, Adam, great to have you on the show. <laughs> great to be here, Kara Swisher. So listening to that clip, you know, this is something you're familiar with, correct? I, I almost felt like I was watching scenes I'd already watched in real life, <laughs> except, <laughs> except even worse. How much of this sounds like a family meeting and how much sounds like colleagues debating the future of a company in crisis? It sounds like a horrible family meeting to me. So talk about those parallels. Talk about the idea of what happens when you mix family with business. Well, there's, there's this research on what Luis, Luis Gomez Mejia calls socio-emotional wealth, which is the idea that in a family firm, you're not just trying to maximize financial wealth. You're also trying to build a legacy and carry it on. And that makes everybody's identity and status that much more important. Um, and in some ways, that drives a lot of extra motivation. People care more. Uh, they see the business as a reflection of who they are. Uh, and you, know, you get a lot more of their energy and their effort. On the other hand, they have a really hard time making reasonable decisions. And I think that in many cases, uh, people hang on to socio-emotional wealth and destroy financial wealth. So one of the things is they're already a family. So they, they bring in the history of their relationships into business. Now, everybody does this in a company. They pretend that it's all business, but it's never all business. In this case, it's all family and then business. Yeah. One of the, the things that really struck me as I was, I was watching the, the first two episodes is it seems that, you know, that, that Logan's kids, um, and we see this in real life too, um, are, are ambivalent in, in the sense that like, they, obviously Logan's, you know, I, don't, I don't know whether I want to call him an, a narcissist or a taker or just an asshole, uh, probably all three. But uh, they have this relationship with, with him where they, on the one hand, clearly want him out of the picture. On the other hand, though, they're dependent on him and they respect some of his competence and expertise. And psychologists have been studying this for a long time. And it turns out that the worst kinds of relationships are often the ambivalent ones. Um, in some ways, they're even worse for our health than purely negative relationships. So if, if, you know, if the kids just hate Logan, then they're going to minimize their interaction with him. They're going to avoid interdependence with him. Uh, they're either going to do the takeover or they're going to get out of the firm altogether, right? Mm -hmm. But because they have this mix of positive and negative feelings, uh, they're, they're sort of always one foot in, one foot out. Uh, they're never quite sure what to expect. One day, he might actually elevate them into a C-suite job. Another day, they're out. Um, and that takes a huge toll on them. 
And I think we can all relate to that, right? If you've ever had a boss who one day had your back and then the next day stabbed you in the back or vice versa, that's a lot more stressful if we look at the research than, than just having the boss who you knew was going to stab you in the back. Right. And in the case of this family or many family companies, they're also looking for that hug they never got. I mean, one of the things I always thought if I ever interviewed Donald Trump, the first thing I'd ask him is, did your family not hug you enough? I think that's what's going on here. I like, I, there's so much that feels predicated on that, like on what happened early on. Um, and then it was mixed up in the family business. I, I thought that for a long time too. And then I, I read this, this paper in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology that said that narcissism was not predicted by being neglected as a child. It was predicted by having parents who told you that you were God's gift to humanity, uh, who essentially blew up your ego to the point that you were arrogant. And then what, what happens is you have these extraordinarily high opinions of yourself. You then enter a social world that's not in that family bubble. And some people think you're an idiot and other people think you're a jerk. And you end up with this very fragile ego. And so it's not low self-esteem that underpins narcissism. It's extremely high, but extremely fragile or unstable self-esteem. So you're brought in to consult with a company in the midst of a crisis or scandal. How, what do, you, how do you suss what's going on and who's telling the truth uh, about what needs to be fixed? I think, I mean, the, the only way to get to the truth that I know of it is to see the dynamics in action. Mm -hmm. So one of the mistakes that a lot of consultants make is they come in, they interview everybody separately. And then you end up with a bunch of different stories and you're trying to piece them together and you don't know which ones are true and which ones are false. And at some level, it almost doesn't matter because you're not trying to change each individual. You're trying to change the culture and the system of the organization. So I'd want to go in. I'd want to watch some of these meetings. I'd want to see people making decisions. Uh, I want to be in the war room when they're deciding whether, I guess, um, Kendall should, you know, should take over while Logan is potentially brain hemorrhaging or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think once I've observed a little bit, uh, what I try to do then is hold up a mirror so that they can see themselves a little bit more clearly and say, look, here, here are my observations. I want to sprinkle in some data as well and say, these dynamics are not unique to you. And in fact, sometimes I don't start with the dynamics I see uh, because I know that people are going to get defensive and that's going to be very threatening. What I'll do is I'll come in and say, let me tell you about another organization I worked with. And here's what was going on in, you know, in their top management team. And they also had a you know, family-controlled business. Um, have you ever seen any of those dynamics? And I'm happy to tell you the parallels that I recognize, but I would rather let you surface them. So that you understand them. It's like, I have a friend. I, I, I have a friend. Like, this exactly. friend, not you, but a friend. Um, so as an organizational psychologist, do you ask questions first or not at all? Just observe. I, I always want to ask questions because I think even if people aren't telling me the truth uh, or the whole truth, they're telling me something about what they want me to believe. And that gives me a window into what they care about, what they value, and what motivates them. And I, I need that information if I want to persuade them that they need to change their behavior. So I'm, I guess I'm using what, when I ask questions, I'm using the answers less to discover the truth and more to understand what makes them tick. Is there any question you can ask that gives you that kind of insight? I can imagine you just sitting there and unnerving people, and they probably are on their best <laughs> behavior when you're there, just by presence. The first question that I, I like to ask is, if you were going to take over this company and you had full control, what are the first three changes that you would make? And what that tells me a little bit about is, one, you know, what, what they think is broken. Mm -hmm. Two, where they would you know, consider solving it. 
Um, but three, also, how much have they thought about running the company? <laughs> do, do they want the power? Um, it's really interesting to observe when somebody says, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't take that one. No, thank you. Uh, you know, it's, and, and that's the spontaneous knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, I, think, I think there's a level of humility there. Um, I think the narcissists are much more likely to say, oh, you know, I, I actually have a whole plan for how to fix this, and here's what it is. And, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before people listen to me. A lot of people say they don't want the job when they do, often women, which is, oh, which yeah. is that Shiv is doing that in this thing. But a lot of women do this is they're like, I, there was someone very prominent who then did get to be the CEO said to me, you know, if I'm lucky enough, they'd consider me for CEO. I said, why don't you just say you want it? Like just, you want it. Right. And, and she was very much like, well, you know, if they think I'm up for the job, I'm like, do you want it or not? I find women never say many women never say, give me that you know, that bowl of chocolate pudding. I want to eat it, that kind of thing. I, I don't need to tell you this, but yeah. I think they're doing that because of the backlash that yeah. we've documented for decades. And when I say we, I don't mean me, right? I mean social scientists against assertive, ambitious women. Um, I think about Lori Rudman's research showing that women who self-promote are liked less but not seen as any more competent and that they're violating these ridiculous stereotypes that women are supposed to be modest and self-effacing. Mm -hmm. I think about the Laura Tiedens meta-analysis, what, 63 studies showing that uh, women who are assertive uh, are, are liked less in general mm -hmm. um, because they're violating another ridiculous gender stereotype that women are supposed to be communal and caring. Right. How right. dare you say, I want to be in charge? Um, I'm even thinking of um, the the data suggesting that Hillary Clinton's approval ratings went down when she was running for office and went up when she was holding office. Um, people liked the version of Hillary that was, you know, grasping or or trying to achieve something much less than the one who was stewarding and you know helping all of us. Putting the sunglasses on, getting on the phone. I said that to her once. I'm like, put on the sunglasses, get on the phone, and that's how people will like you. They like that, Hillary. I mean, but should she have to do that? Of course no, not. of course not. So what do you think the biggest barriers to people being able to be honest with each other and trust and work together? Obviously, the Roy family is not like that. But what, are the, what do you find to be the biggest barriers when you're looking at all this social research? I think if, if I think about the barriers to trust and collaboration in a dynamic like that, I think Number one is, is a lack of psychological safety, as, as Amy Edmondson would describe it, right? That, that people are afraid that if they speak up, they're going to be punished in some way. Um, and sometimes that's because there's an actual history of reprisal. In other cases, right, people just walk around with these beliefs that, like, you can't cut the boss's throat. Um, or, you know, if, like, if you speak up, that it's going to have career consequences. So I think that's a big problem. I think a second problem and something I've been studying recently with Konstantinos Kudaferis is that in a lot of cases, uh, we get the relationship between trust and vulnerability backward. Oh. Um, Dan Coyle wrote about this brilliantly in The Culture Code. He said, look, a lot of people think that in order to, to be vulnerable, you have to trust people. And it actually goes more strongly the other way that you have to show vulnerability in order for people to trust you. You have to disclose something about yourself. Um, and a lot of us wait until we have trust and therefore it doesn't happen, right? We have right. these kind of professional stilted conversations that, that actually don't reveal any depth or, or humanity. And then I think the, the last barrier that I, I see all the time is um, people just having their own personal goals uh, that, you know, sort of supersede 
group goals. There's a selfish agenda there and people mm -hmm. are focused on what's going to allow them to get ahead and achieve their objectives, not what's mm -hmm. going to advance the group. And I, I think we, systematically what we see empirically is that narcissists are more likely to get promoted into leadership roles. Uh, they work a lot harder to get them. Um, but also their confidence gets mistaken for competence. And right. people think because they exude this certainty and conviction and often charisma um, that they're qualified to lead. And the, the sad reality, and Kara, I know you've seen this probably almost every day of your career, given the kind of reporting you do, is narcissists are actually more charming than their peers on first impressions because they, they really want to make sure that they make a good first impression. And it's only when you interact with them for a longer period of time or up close that they reveal the full true colors. Yes. The Roys are so adept at wielding insults. They're hilarious and also biting and quite mean, actually. Defend dad all you want, but Jerry can look after herself. Yeah, I know that. I'm not defending Jerry. You can't I'm hide under the covers with mommy. Oh, fuck off, Siobhan. Oh, you love showing your pee, -pee to everyone, but someday you know you're actually gonna have to fuck something. Fuck you. Rome, bitch. What? Leave it. Rome, just... What? Rome. That was low. That was an overreaction. That was not. Can we just try to keep this nice? What function do you think this kind of vicious, humorous banter does for a group of si siblings or even at work? Because it happens at work. Well, I, I kind of wonder if they enjoy it. <laughs> I don't think mm -hmm. most yeah, do. groups are like the Roy's. I think the cardinal rule of humor at work is you make fun of yourself, not other people. Although the caveat is the research by Jarrell Slaughter and colleagues would tell us that uh, men are seen as more competent when they self-deprecate. Women are seen as less so, uh, which is just wrong. But I guess that, that means it's that much harder for women to walk that tightrope. And I, I think in the Roy family, um, it seems like the, the humor is the way that they, they put up their guard and say, look, I'm, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. And I'm going to basically going to twist the knife a little bit to tell you, hey, wait a minute, back off here. But not good in the workplace. I, I mean, I, would you want to work in that company? I wouldn't. I have worked in companies like that, but no, <laughs> no, not at all. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, um, let me ask you another question. When you said vulnerability, what do you mean by showing vulnerability? When I think about showing vulnerability, it's, it's hard not to think of Brene Brown's work, right? Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. that usually means having the courage 
to disclose something about me that doesn't put my, my best foot forward. Um, it may be an imperfection, could be an insecurity, uh, could be something that's fairly personal that I haven't shared with a lot of people. Um, and those are moments of intimacy, right, that are very uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially, um, you know, white men in a work setting, right? Right. They don't want to be seen as vulnerable. No, not at all. I want to be strong. And yet, um, in these, these studies we recently did, we found that when we asked leaders and managers to, to not just seek feedback and criticism, but to actually criticize themselves out loud, uh, that psychological safety and trust went up and it lasted for at least a year because they weren't just claiming they were open to hearing what other people were thinking. They were proving they could take it. In a lot of families, and this one is a good example, or the Trumps or any of these families you mentioned, they can't show any weakness. Everyone has to act tough. You can't sort of shake that from these companies. No. Do you know Jennifer Berdahl's work on no. what she calls masculinity contest cultures? <laughs> well, I just did interview Elon Musk. I just interviewed Elon Musk about Jeff Bezos's rockets, so I'm kind of familiar with that. And he went right <laughs> okay, so there. T- tell he me, tell right me there. what the masculinity contest looks like. I don't know. What it, well, it, it has to do with measuring of some sort, of some length. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, and I think what's, what's interesting about that is it becomes more than a metaphor, right? So um, everyone is determined to be the smartest person in the room, as opposed to asking, how do we make the room smarter? Right. Um, People believe in a zero-sum world where if I want to win, other people have to lose. Right. And I think consistently um, you, you cross the line from, I think, being demanding to being demeaning, right? Where we're going to, I mean, we're, we're going to pummel uh, people who, who don't step up and don't deliver uh, or who show any weakness uh, as opposed to asking, well, what, what caused that? And was I a contributing factor there? Thanks for checking in. And, you know, I love you. Thank you. And do you, do you love me too? Why do you want to know? Oh, fuck, I just feel like it's a pretty important thing to know whether you do or not. You know, you can't just take my love and bank it and then take a view of the love market and see if you want to invest in me. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I do. I do. Great. Because I do too. It's good to know we, we don't have an unbalanced love portfolio. Um, we've heard the rhetoric about a company being a family, which I often doubt. Um, I always say it's not my family, you know. Um, talk about that and then the opposite when family is the company. Well, I, I really worry about like, when people say we're a family around here, it, it creates unrealistic expectations for what's going to happen in the organization. Uh, you know, I think people get fired in their jobs a lot more often than they get fired from their families. Right. I think you count on your family to have your back almost no matter what. Um, and I don't think you should expect that of your employer. Right. In the U.S., we have at will employment. Um, you know, there's no obligation for, for corporations to care about you at all. Um, I, I understand the good intentions that leaders have when they say that. I think what they mean is we're a community, hmm. uh, which means we're going to respect each other. Um, we're going to enjoy each other's company. Uh, we're going to try to contribute to each other's success, even if there's not anything in it for me personally. Um, but to, to say we're a family, I, I think you're just setting people up for disappointment and it, it, it creates a lot of, a lot of perceived hypocrisy, right? Because leaders will say one day we're a family and then the next day, well, I guess families do sometimes scream at each other, right? But the next day they're, they're, you know, just completely violating the, the basic principles of professionalism. You're like, wait a minute, what, like, do, do we actually care about each other? Um, and if so, like, why was that person demoted and why was that person fired? And, 
I, I don't really get what's going on here, but clearly you are not walking your talk. Well, one, one time someone said, oh, we're a family. And I said, are you going to insult my outfit right now? Because my mom just did that. Like, what are you? T- I don't want a family at work. I'm, you're not my friend. You know what I mean? I have family at home and I, there are enough trouble as it is. But what about when a family is a company? Talk a little bit about familial infighting when there's so much money at stake. Yeah. I mean, we, we know nepotism is a huge problem in family firms uh, mm-hmm. that you know, even even more than in the rest of the world, <laughs> when people are born into wealth and family ties, they're much more likely to get promoted. Um, there actually there was a, a recent study which showed that second generation money managers um, uh, they end up underperforming basically relative to to people who did not come from wealth, and um, you know it's largely because you didn't have to earn the job if you came from a rich family. Um, and I think family firms are often an extreme version of that. That's not to say that that's always the case, right? So if we go back to this idea we were talking about earlier of socio-emotional wealth, you will sometimes have a family member, you know, whether it's a sister or a brother um, or a nephew or a niece or, you know, a grandchild, right, who, who really cares deeply about extending and continuing the legacy and does it with integrity. And I think that that motivation can be a real asset for an organization. Mm-hmm. I think there's often unique expertise that gets, you know, sort of channeled through families. I, I worry a lot about organizational memory and how much information is lost from one generation of employees to the next. Um, how many great ideas never saw the light of day because people weren't around two decades ago um, and they were crazy then. Um, you know, and now actually we have the technology to do them. In family firms, I think those ideas are more likely to survive and get retained and passed on. And so I think like almost everything else in life, um, running a family firm is a double-edged sword. It gives you a lot of assets and also a lot of liabilities. Right. So when you're in the middle of, of talking to these firms or studying them, what these family firms and they're in a crisis, is there one thing to do? Bring them all together? Or what, what is the thing to do? You were in this bedroom with these kids. What would you say? Like, mm. I honestly think that the the only thing I would want to start with is conflict mediation. Mm-hmm. Even in non-family firms, there's some classic evidence that most leaders and managers spend at least a full day a week just mediating conflicts between people mm-hmm. in their their workplaces. Um, yeah. I think we we are a conflict illiterate culture. Um, in some cases, we have horrible conflicts. In other cases, we avoid them altogether and therefore don't know how to manage them. And I actually think we see both of those dynamics, right, with the Roy family. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would bring in a conflict mediator. Uh, I would start with a couple of probably the pairs that were having the biggest problem. Uh, and then I would ask whether we could actually do this at the family level. Uh, and I would not have high hopes that they're going to make a lot of progress. But I think if we can't get all the issues out on the table and and put our trust in a neutral third party to help us, you know, really think through what might be fair solutions to some of these disagreements. Right. We're not right. going to make any headway. So conflict illiterate. It's interesting. I, you write about spending a lot of time on conflicts. When I was managing more people, I literally got to the point where I was like, staff zero. That's what I would like. Staff zero. <laughs> so how do you get literate at conflict? Oh, well, I would start by reading Amanda Ripley's new book, High Conflict, which I think may well be the best nonfiction book of 2021. Uh, I think she does a brilliant job unpacking the science and also some really vivid stories of what causes people to get into what she calls these high conflict loops, where it's us versus them. Um, I'm right, you're wrong. And every single behavior that the other person does is an escalation of our, you know, of our, our disagreement. And it's not over until I've won the war and you don't exist anymore. Um, I think that what 
What, what I learned from her work and, and from a lot of the data on conflict is we need to be able to, to not reduce conflict, but have better conflict. Um, we, know, we, we actually know in families that how often parents argue has no bearing on the, the, the health or well-being of their kids. It's how constructively they argue that matters. Not just um, reaching at each other, but gamming. Yeah, um, but, yeah, but actually teaching their kids, it's okay to disagree, right? We don't have to have all our fights behind locked doors. And in fact, if we do that, you might learn to avoid it or you might not learn ever how to resolve it and still respect each other in the process. And so I think the key is to try to figure out how to have conflict that, that we would call, in my world at least, task conflict as opposed to relationship conflict, which is we're going to duke it out over a decision or a vision or a strategy as opposed to, you know, we, we start to disagree about a choice to make. And then, you know, I'm suddenly saying, well, you, you know what? You smell. Like, right. You're, you're well, just you were mean awful. to me when I was 14. Like, <laughs> yeah, I remember like, when you did that to me or something. Oh, like the that. past hauntings are the worst. Like, <laughs> pa- past hauntings. You have so many good words. Conflict, illiterate. Pa- I mean, this is, is, this is what haunting? we do in psychology. We label yeah. things that you already know. <laughs> what is a past haunting? I love that word. Uh, it's a, it's a, an old concept in, um, in psychotherapy to, to just describe some of your old demons that um, are still governing a lot of your current choices and uh-huh. you haven't quite come to terms with them. So, you know, one of mine is in what, in, in middle school, a bunch of my friends dropped me because I wasn't cool enough. And like, I think that's one of the reasons I, I got so interested in being helpful to other people is it was right. a way to be liked and accepted. Right? right. And at some point I realized that and I'm like, Oh, well, like maybe I should just help people if I enjoy it. And I think it's meaningful, not because I want to be liked. Um, and then, and then I wasn't haunted as much by it anymore, but you know, it still, it still probably affects my thinking more than I would like. I think I need to get back to the city. People need to see a little family unity. Of course. And you do have things you could say no to stop him. You drop some bombs, you get burnt too, you know? So can this family be saved? Can families this dysfunctional be saved? You just think, start again. How do you define save? Functional. I don't think so. I, I don't think they have a chance in hell, to be honest. I mean, I, I, think, I, I think part of what makes the show so captivating is I think maybe every one of them would get diagnosed with a personality disorder in real life. And I don't know how to treat that in a family system. Maybe Esther Perel does. Oh, psychedelics. 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 That's way beyond my expertise. Ketamine therapy. We'll talk about that next. Anyway, thank you, Adam, for sharing. It's really helpful. Adam Grant, of course, is a professor. Uh, He's a writer. And he's also the host of a terrific podcast, very popular one called Work Life. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I always learn something new from you. Okay, that's the show. Until then. Oh, fuck off, Siobhan. This is the official podcast of HBO series Succession, and it's a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studio. It's hosted by Kara Swisher. Our executive producers are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our senior producer of the show is Nick White, and Darby Maloney is our editor. This episode was produced by Michael Catano and me, Shaka Mali, and engineered by Michael Catano. Production music is courtesy of HBO. You can listen to the next episode right after episode three of Succession, which comes out Sunday, October 31st on HBO Max. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. <laughs>